Healthcare consumers, providers, creators, and advocates. Health and wellness should be everyone's top priority. And it's a dynamic topic, complex and sensitive to a vast array of factors from a local to an international scale. The healthcare industry is now at the forefront of everyday life and hopefully on the cusp of a renaissance. We're glad you've joined us for this series that explores the ideas shaping healthcare. I'm Minta Ferguson, healthcare architect and director of the Strategic Facility Planning Group, Macmillan Pasden Smith Advisors. And this is Ideas Shaping Healthcare. We're joined in the studio today by Martha Whitecotton and Meredith Latender, and today we're going to be discussing behavioral health and its integration into primary care and telehealth. Martha Whitecotton earned her master's degree in family nursing and her bachelor of science degree in nursing from West Texas State University. She completed a nurse executive fellowship in 2005 at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. She is a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Her experience includes serving as the president of Levine Children's Hospital and leading strategic development and programming initiatives. She is currently Senior Vice President of Atrium Health's Behavioral Health Services, with a specific focus on integrating behavioral health into primary care. This team is creating a forward-thinking, innovative, value-based care delivery model for ambulatory care, driving screening and treatment upstream, and leveraging a virtual care platform. Martha serves as the board chair of the Atrium Health Political Action Committee. She is a recipient of the 2009 Women in Business Award from the Charlotte Business Journal, a graduate of Leadership Charlotte, and a recipient of the 2018 Visionary Leadership Award from the National Council for Behavioral Health. Martha was also named to the Modern Healthcare Top 25 Innovators for 2020. With a background as a strategic and financial advisor for health systems, Meredith supports our clients by creating customized data analytics to help justify facility asset decision-making. With a background as a strategic and financial advisor for health systems, Meredith supports our clients by creating customized data analytics to justify facility asset decision-making. She analyzes market demographics, disease prevalence, and utilization trends to provide data-driven strategic direction and actionable solutions for facility master plans and community needs assessments. Bridging the gap between data and people skills, her interest in building relationships results in motivated team cultures that successfully tackle complex project challenges. Well, thank you, uh, Martha. We're really excited to have you here today. And um, today's topic is behavioral health and its integration into primary care and telehealth. So before I jump into questions, I wanted to give a little bit of context and background um, with this, with this particular, particular topic. Um, so the COVID-19 pandemic, as we know, has already exacerbated an already um, severe mental health crisis in, in the country. So as I was researching this topic and getting ready for the, for the podcast, you know, I came across some interesting data from the Kaiser Family Foundation. So as of 2021, the be behavioral health clinicians can only meet about a third of mental health needs across the U.S. So while this shortage is not um, anything surprising across many specialties, I think uh, this specialty in particular, behavioral health, has such a huge supply and demand imbalance. Um, so in light of this shortage and additional pressures from, from the pandemic, 
the industry has invested heavily um, in virtual care. You know, I know for me personally, I've um, uh, definitely uh, partaken in telehealth uh, during the pandemic and benefited from that. So it's, you know, obviously making everything more accessible um, for those seeking mental health care, um, especially. So with that little bit of context and intro, I'll go ahead and jump into our first question. So as we know, Atrium Health and your team have gained national recognition for your virtual behavioral health integration program. Um, and you guys have really made great advancements in the way mental health care is accessed and delivered today um, and being really a national model. So I think it would be helpful just to start um, with what does that mean and tell us more about uh, your program and how you've gained that recognition nationally. Okay, Meredith, let me start by laying some groundwork for how we, how we got to this place. And when we, when we started the behavioral health service line at Atrium Health, our mindset was around a return on investment. You know, how do we show a change in the way, the health of a population, not an individual patient, but the health of a population or a community based on the investments that we've made. And we knew that we had to get upstream, really meet people early in their illness and change that trajectory of illness. So the most logical place to do that was in primary care because patients seek usually initially seek mental health care with their primary care provider because right. their primary care provider is safe, there's less stigma there, so they feel comfortable approaching that primary care provider, whereas they may not feel comfortable or may feel the stigma associated with going to a psychiatrist practice. But when we looked at the 80 randomized controlled trials across the country, what we saw was an embedded model. So a therapist is embedded into a primary care practice. And what that becomes is a co-located model versus an integrated model. So there's a, a diagnosis made, and then the primary care provider hands the patient off to the, to the mental health worker. And what we really wanted to do was keep the primary care provider at the center of care. So they are the prescriber. They are the owner of the patient. It's really a whole person care model. They're treating their mental health and their physical health together. Right. But because primary care providers struggle with how to manage those patients, we've created a virtual team that stands behind the primary care provider and is accessible to that provider every time they make a diagnosis or prescribe a medication or prescribe a course of treatment. We are accessible and we are there to help support them. We are also there to help support the patient outside the practice. So say the patient's had their appointment, they've been given a prescription, um, maybe even express suicidal ideation. And then mm -hmm. the primary care provider sends, you know, they have to go home. And so we then pick up the patient and carry them outside the practice with some assessments, some um, health coaching, motivational interviewing, and work with the patient in between appointments to make sure that they are engaging in treatment, taking their medication, can purchase their medication, all those things that might not ever happen without our team behind that patient and that provider. Right. So are you guys the only that you know of health system really doing this model nationally? Um, Early on we that. were. Early okay. on we were. Um, okay. So for the first few years, and that's really probably why we gained the national reputation right. that we did, right. um, what we did was really different. And the reason it was probably so different was because of the way mental health services are paid for. The way we were delivering care was not a model that was acknowledged by payers for payment. So people were hesitant to jump into that space, not right. understanding the importance of population health and right. value. Okay. So, but now it's become more and more popular, increasingly popular for a couple reasons. Number one, people understand the importance of creating access to care mm -hmm. and they know they cannot do it with 
a human setting in a practice. The second is that during the public health emergency, many of the barriers to telemedicine were lifted, were eliminated. And even today, Medicare is considering eliminating them for good, which is a great, right. great thing. But um, that helped other health systems be more courageous about jumping right. into this space. And we've actually um, begun consulting across the country, helping other health systems stand up a similar model. Oh, that's great. I think it's really interesting, too, because when I think about when, when we design primary care clinics, sometimes we design them as a care model where you have the primary care physician, then you also have a, a therapist in the clinic physically there, and then you also have a physical therapist in the clinic. Yeah. Um, and so you could see all three of those people in one visit. But what I like about this is you don't have to have um, that individual, the, the, the behavioral health professional in the clinic. Um, it's, it's a nice way to, I think, serve all kinds of communities and populations um, from a central uh, location yes. as opposed to having to physically have someone in every building. Yes, and it's really attentive to another national problem, which is manpower. So psychiatrists are in very short supply, mm -hmm. and even licensed mental health professionals, as Meredith said, are in very short mm -hmm. supply. And so as we can optimize the work and get the right work to the right person, so much of our work in our model is done by a health coach, okay. which is not a licensed professional, but has been trained in... Um, motivational interviewing, coaching, you oh, know, great. just the kind yeah. of coaching that you all conceptually think of, like in, in business coaching or, you know, yeah. professional speaking coaching. It's, it's a coach. And yeah. they work directly with the patient and remove barriers and help them navigate treatment and then measure their success along the way. But it's allowed us to then make the best use of the manpower that we have. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great, great way yes. to use resources. <laughs> yes. It makes me think of these other digital apps that are out there like Talkspace, BetterHelp. They're popping up every day almost. Um, so do you see any, foresee any risks with those and connecting back to the care continuum? The only risk that I see is that if people think they are the solution. Right. The end-all, be-all solution. None of those apps offer everything. They right. offer a piece of the model of care. You know, they offer right. a therapist or they offer um, motivational support through an app. Um, they, or, they, or, you know, they offer um, some coaching, but none of them offer a full right. continuum. Right. And so if you think that's the only answer, then there's going to be gaps in care and mm -hmm. people are going to fall through the cracks. Where I see the value of those apps is as adjuncts to care. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yet another tool we can give a patient in a toolbox of tools to fight their disease. And so, you know, it'd be like going into cancer treatment if you needed radiation and chemo and you only got chemo. You right. know, you need every tool that is, is available to you to, to battle this illness. Right. And so we like to think of them as additional tools, but not as the, the solution, right. if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Um, and then that brings me to my next question I had around, um, you know, independent therapists. Will that more traditional avenue um, be able to survive in light of this push towards towards digital with all of these apps and models like Atrium? You know, what does that look like from an independent therapist um, perspective? I think just given the statistics that you quoted at the outset yeah. of the podcast, 
independent there there's plenty of business to right. go around and even for our patients that are in integrated care we often refer them to individual therapy because our job is not really to be their therapist our job is to coach them and help mm-hmm. them navigate care and so I, I don't I don't foresee that there will be any less demand for individual right. therapists it's just that we might be able to better meet the whole demand in the in the space yeah. Yeah, I think sense. it also goes back to the the benefit of, of too, how people get the access to it. So if people are comfortable yep. getting their care from their primary care physician, then um, that that's a, an obviously route to get there. And then when I think about even my own experience, um, I, I think of when I, I have issues, and especially even during the pandemic, um, that I, I had to start checking, like, what are my nutrient levels? I need, I need supplements. I need vitamins. And what kind of exercise am I getting? And doing stretching and mindfulness moments and getting access to people and finding someone in particular I can talk to and then having, you know, a professional I could go to to get, to get professional help too. So I do love that integrated because it's mm-hmm. that whole body, um, yes. that whole body kind of care. Yeah. And it really takes – every expertise and yes. every every tool we can find to yeah. help people. Yeah. When you think of uh, providers interacting with a patient, you know, traditionally we've always seen them um, one-on-one in person and they have a bedside manner, right? It's how they interact with the patient, how they treat them, how they talk to them and vice versa. And with going virtual and doing so much over the phone or over the computer, how is that bedside manner changing? What is it good? Is it bad? Is it different? Can you just describe it a bit? I think if anything, providers have had to up their game. Okay. You know, it's a little bit more challenging to change the change the traditional model of how you've delivered care. Mm-hmm. For patients, it's been welcome. Most patients are more comfortable over the virtual care platform than they are face-to-face because, again, of stigma, people are embarrassed, a little ashamed. They feel more comfortable in their own space. I know that our providers have commented many times how refreshing it is to see the patient in the patient's own environment. Okay. So they can see a lot of things about their environment and not just rely on what the patient's telling them. Because obviously we all know going to the doctor, we always tell the doctor the best case scenario. You know, Mm -hmm. are you exercising? Oh, yeah, five times a week when maybe it's only three or maybe it's not at all. Yeah. So so just for this is an extreme example, but we had a patient that one of our physicians was treating for um, obsessive compulsive disorder and they were hoarding. And um, the the th- the um, psychiatrist and the therapist had been working with the patient on getting rid of things. Okay. And so while they were on an appointment with him, a virtual appointment, they actually packed a box with him. Oh, and wow. actually, you know, over the course of three or four weeks, packed three or four boxes to leave of things to leave the house, Think, helping him part with things mm-hmm. that would have been difficult for him to do on his own. Yeah. So there's this huge value to the patient being in their own environment. And if you think about the way modern medicine's been delivered, it's always been on our terms. The patient comes mm-hmm. to us. The patient seeks us. And now it's very different, and patients really like it. Are they... Are they- making more of their appointments, keeping more of their appointments. I know that sometimes if you have to drive somewhere, try and park somewhere, especially if it's on a healthcare campus, it can be a bit cumbersome. But I would think this would make it easier for patients to make Much easier. We used to have a no-show rate of about 20%. And since the pandemic and since our transition of all of our services to virtual care, not just our primary care integration, 
um, patient, we have a no-show percentage that's below 10%. Oh, wow. So it's a huge decrease. So that just means more people are getting yeah. access to care. It's a win all the way around. Oh, that's awesome. And so then I think, too, um, if, if so much of this is virtual, so what does it look like from a, from a facility's perspective as the, the provider um, having these professionals providing this care? And, and they're not in the clinics or all the clinics. So is it like a call center? I know COVID kind of shifted everybody's work around to work from home or, you know, spacing out a little bit more at the office. So what, is, what does it look like from, from the provider side to, to be giving that, that service? Early on in the pandemic, people were home, and they were mm-hmm. delivering everything from home. Um, so we had to work really hard to get them the right technology so yeah. that they could. But but as the pandemic has progressed, and some patients do prefer face-to-face. So most okay. of our providers are actually in the clinic, and they do a mix of virtual and in, in face-to-face. Sometimes they'll have a day at home and do all virtual appointments. For our technicians, our clinicians, our health coaches, our licensed professionals, they really can work from home. And it's a funny shift in our mindset mm-hmm. because when we first started behavioral health integration, we built a call we built a call center, like a bunker where everybody had a little station, had their headset and had mm-hmm. their work. You know, it's this mindset of everybody has to come to a place right. or the work doesn't get yes. done. And mm-hmm. if we learned nothing else during the pandemic, we learned that the work will get done, it, whether the person is in their home or in the workspace. And so I think all across Charlotte, you're seeing buildings emptied out and Oh, yeah. Workspace is emptied, and it's not different in this world in healthcare because it can be done on this model. And there's really um, a lot of work, a lot of teammate satisfaction in that, in that control over their work day. Um, some people obviously miss their colleagues, so we have to work yeah. on how to make that happen. Get the but, culture and the yeah. camaraderie and, and yeah. all of that. How do they work together? I mean, how do how do um, the coaches and clinicians bring one another into providing care? I mean, are they able to consult with one another? Yeah, virtual care platforms are amazing in the way that they have tools for teammates to communicate. Okay. So, you know, if you're on a Microsoft Teams, if you're on a, say you're on a, a Um, epic platform and you're doing a video visit you can go in through Microsoft Teams which all of our our teammates have and you can do a call and ping another provider on Microsoft Teams and get them engaged in the conversation or engaged in the situation or type them a message and ask for help and I'll just give you an example of how this worked okay our call center our behavioral health call center gets calls from all over the country and so they actually got a call from a gentleman who had family in Charlotte and he was actually in a mall in Iowa, and he was suicidal. He was having mm-hmm. suicidal ideations. And through a, the teammate who took the call, sent a Teams message to another colleague through Teams, got the other colleague involved, got that colleague working on contacting the local police department in that city. Oh, anyway, fabulous. ultimately, all this worked together that the poli- they were able to get a description of the patient, exactly where he was located, and stayed on the phone with him until the police arrived at his side and got him to safety. And so mm-hmm. it's just so neat to think all of that was done on a virtual care platform. Oh, and Nobody it. was looking at each other, but we took care, great yeah. care of a patient. That's Saved it. a life. Teamwork yes. makes, makes the dream yeah. example. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. When I look back at COVID, and it, it did certainly change the way we all work and the way we think about working in the future, I had a complete shift at that time when we when we all went home, and I didn't realize it until probably later 
um, and working from home that I was really struggling. I, I was not functioning on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I wasn't talking to people. I couldn't think my head was really cloudy. Um, I wasn't eating right. I had, I had a lot of, a lot of problems. And so I was finally able to see the trigger, see the issues and, um, was able to, to reach out and talk to people about it, you know, between my husband or coworkers, mm-hmm. just say how I feel. And then finding, um, a professional outlet to, to talk about, about my what I was going through, um, and I think too. Even now, I'm seeing like with my kids at school and talking on these these parent teacher conferences that these kids have been at home working yeah. from home virtually for you know a year, year and a half, and when they come back, they've been pretty much alone or just with their parents. They haven't had these one-on-one interactions and it's been emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm hearing that even the kids are having behavioral, um, things that are going on and they're having to relearn interactions and, um, kind of, kind of seek, seek, you know, some professional assistance yeah. or what have you. But I'm curious, you know, how has, you know, COVID shaped the future of behavioral yeah. health? I know I certainly, you know, it, it seems like that's when all the apps were starting to pop yes. up. So what, what has that done? Well, I think a couple things. It, with respect to children, um, we've seen a 30% increase in children and adolescents seeking behavioral health treatment, particularly through an emergency room mm-hmm. since the pandemic. Okay, And so there's definitely a an epidemic that's going on with our children in this country that we've got to pay attention to. And the resources for children, if if you can imagine, are even more minimal than they are for adults. And so we really have to pay attention to that and be mindful about it. The other thing is that, um, you know, we always like to try to think of one good thing that came out of a terrible thing. And one of the things that is very positive as a result of the pandemic is the willingness of people to talk about their mental health. Mm-hmm. So you're here in yep. a podcast with a microphone <laughs> talking about your Sharing own your mental story. health when prior to the pandemic, you may have not had the courage to do that, yes. but it's been normalized mm-hmm. somewhat by the pandemic. Everybody's talking about, there's been television commercials about it. We, all of our physician leadership meetings, we talk about people's mental health and resiliency and how to seek resources and making sure they know what those resources are. And so I think that's an incredibly positive thing that came out of the pandemic is people are more willing to speak their need and then more willing to seek help. And, it, and then not feel a stigma because of that. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Now, if we can just match the resources to yes. the demand, we'll be great. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that and, and kind of thinking back at my own experience, you know, like my dad um, had a major diagnosis. Um, you know, he was a bipolar. Um, and so I grew up kind of being in that environment and knowing, you know, what was going on. And my parents were very open with me about it and communicated with me. But so perhaps I was more keen to know mm-hmm. when I was I was mm-hmm. going through something and, and needed you know to talk to someone but there are other people who don't have that experience and they've never been exposed to it so I I have I love to talk about it because the more exposure I think people get to the mm-hmm. the better and so you know I just really like the the idea that people can comfortably talk about it and find the resources and I think the program that you guys have pulled together is is you know kind of doing all kinds of great in, in our community. So thank you. For anyone who's, you know, interested in this, this resource, you can reach the Atrium Behavioral Health Call Center at 704-444-2400 
or 1-800-418-2065. It's staffed 24-7 by licensed professionals. Um, so it's just, a, an, again, another great resource that we've been talking about today that, that you might find um, could be beneficial. Yeah, I meant I would add for anyone who's employed, most employers provide as an employee benefit access to an employee assistance program. And that's usually a program that the employee can access at no cost, no personal cost, to get access to, um, to help or someone to talk to about their mental health challenges. And so I would encourage people to look into that benefit from their employer and understand how to access it and freely use it. It operates completely separately from your employer. Your employer has no idea who accesses employee assistance or who what they say to them. It's completely separate and very safe and private. Today was fabulous and thank you for your expertise um, and thought leadership in, in this area. Well, thank you all for having me. It's great. I could talk about it all day too. <laughs> This is the Pulse Check, where I go over a few takeaways from this episode. One, virtual therapy has allowed providers to get a glimpse into patients' lives at home, and it's creating a more effective care plan and perhaps helping in ways that weren't provided by previous models of care for behavioral health. Another one is the benefit of the pandemic has been the improvement in access to behavioral health providers due to the suspension of regulations on telehealth during the public health emergency, an increase in comfort in addressing our behavioral health needs, and we hope it only improves. And finally, the integration of behavioral health into primary care and telehealth creates three big wins. One, it minimizes wait time to see a behavioral health provider. Two, it grows competencies in primary care physicians. And three, it's cost-effective and scalable. Thank you for listening to Ideas Shaping Healthcare by Idea Exchange. If you have any questions on this podcast, you can find our contact information via the link in the description. Thank you for tuning in to Ideas Shaping Healthcare, an Idea Exchange production brought to you by Macmillan Pasden Smith Architecture and Advisors.